You know, Aaron, you've got some weeks where we really have to do some digging to find out where we're going to go with the Wayback Music Machine, and then you get weeks like this one where we literally had an embarrassment of riches in terms of what was happening in rock history. It was tough to decide. Well, you know, and the, and the thing is, and if we don't talk about something, it doesn't mean it's not important or we don't, even, you know, we may think it's important, but we only have a certain amount of time and, you know, we have to pick the stuff that we can talk about and, 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 and explore a bit. But, oh, I know, you know, if that's the biggest problem I had all week, I'll take it. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we're going to do stops in uh, 1965 first, and then we'll zip back to 1956, and then we'll boot forward to 1970 before we return home. How does that sound? Well, it's nice to be back on North American soil too. It I mean, is. I loved, I loved England, but it's nice to be home close to home, you know. Well, it's nice and it's nice, you know, not to be getting rained on all the time too, especially uh, although when you're walking raining. to. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining where I am right now, but okay, we'll go over that. <laughs> all right. So you're ready to go, sir? Yeah, I got my umbrella and I'm ready to get in the car. In that case, let's hit the road. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So first of all, today, Aaron, we are going to jump back to uh, 1965 and Clearwater, Florida, of all places. So are you uh, ready to punch this into the uh, time machine? I'm always ready. I was oh. born ready. Yeah. All right, ready. let's do it. <laughs> 1965 and we'll head to Clearwater. Okay, let's jump. Swinger, the incredible new Polaroid land camera for 1995. It talks to you. Swing it up and take a look. Then turn the knob until it says yes, right in the viewfinder. Okay, you've got the right setting. Ten seconds later, you zip off a perfect black and white picture. The Swinger freezes action. It's always in focus. And it gives you beautiful close-ups. Incredible. Especially at 1995. Man, I love Florida. And actually, this is my uh, first time in Clearwater. You ever been here before? Uh, no, I'm, I must have driven by it, though. No, I've never been here. It's a um, pretty little town. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, fantastic. And you see that hotel on the left across the street? The Jack Tar Harrison Hotel? That's the one. Would you believe that in 1965, in that hotel, Keith Richards... And Mick Jagger, on May 6th, actually, 1965, 
worked out the opening guitar riff for one of the most famous songs in rock and roll history for satisfaction. Keith Richards had purchased a Gibson Fuzzbox earlier that day and they worked out the beginning of the song. It's obviously one of the greatest uh, rock songs ever recorded. I think Rolling Stone uh, placed satisfaction at second all time, didn't it? They did. Mm-hmm. Indeed, they did. And what a song. I, I think uh, Satisfaction sums up rock and roll perfectly. It is the consummate rock and roll song. And, and Jagger wrote the lyrics there as well, apparently, uh, by the pool. Yeah. So, uh, But you know what's more interesting, even, is the history of this hotel. Is So this was the Jack Tar uh, Harrison Hotel. It closed in the early 70s. It got bought out and reopened as the Fort Harrison Hotel. But guess who the owners were? Who was that? The Church of Scientology. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So this hotel now is a a Church of Scientology training center, believe it or not. So that's... uh, So you mean John Travolta owns it? Yeah, exactly. He's got a controlling stake with, uh, what's his name, with Tom Cruise, right? Tom Cruise, yeah. That's from the (laughs) vacation, I guess. (laughs) That's right. But when they um, bought the hotel, uh, they knew that Richards and Jagger had recorded in there, like come up with a riff in there for satisfaction and started writing this song. And supposedly, I I couldn't find out exactly how, but they... uh, they tried to clear all traces of their presence from the hotel, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? That'd be a hell of a smudging, um, because I'm sure their traces were all over that hotel. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, satisfaction, one of the one of the great rock and roll songs, and um, man, and where? Were, yeah, go ahead. Uh, where did that chart satisfaction? Well, it eventually made number one. I mean, it was, and it's interesting because uh, it was originally only available for years and years and years in mono. Now, for those of you kids at home who'd forget what mono is, that's what your little <laughs> transistor radio used to be, just one speaker. And every record in the 60s, up until uh, maybe 67, 68, was released in mono only. Singles, not albums, singles. So, yeah, it eventually made number one. It was a massive song. I think it was one of the top songs. I think the only song that beat it at 65 was Yesterday. Oh, wow. You so, because um, that was a huge song too, right? But, well, uh, that's right. And it's the most covered song in history, isn't it? Yesterday. It I is think. indeed, yeah. Like 4,000 4, or something. or. Well, and you know, speaking of covers, have you ever heard the cover version of Satisfaction by Devo? Oh, I have. <laughs> they had to get permission from the Stones, from Jagger and Richards, to do what they did. And apparently Jagger loved what Devo did to that song. Yeah, it's an interesting version for sure. And actually, Devo is going to come up later on our road trip. They, they are indeed. And, and just to just put it on the table, I love Devo. Yeah, oh, very interesting. Very interesting. Pretty bad. So um, I, got, I got a question for you about Devo. Yeah. Should they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame first ballot, or do you think they need to wait? No, they should be in. They should be in right now because they... They, they paved the way for bands like, um, you know, B-52s. And I, I mean, I'm going to go Talking Heads. They're, they're like the Ramones of New Wave. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people cite them as an influence. And a lot of bands these days will say, oh, yeah, you know, I think they should be in. But now, having said that, some of the competition they're up against, you know, there should, there's other people that deserve to be in there a little more than Devo and a lot less than Devo. So, exactly. But, but, you know... Will they get in this year? Probably not. But uh, 
That would be cool my idea. guess too. That would be my guess too. Is they might have to wait another you know year or two. But I saw Devo in 1982, and the opening band was a group called Dove. So just transpose the letters. It was actually <laughs> Devo wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it was Devo wearing these masks, and they did Muzak versions on Hammond organ of Devo songs. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> well, they were they were uh, very really influential. You know, I was just listening. I'm a big uh, fan of Alan Cross's podcast, and he did a big seven part series on uh, the music post punk, and uh, mm-hmm. spent almost an entire episode talking about Devo and their influence and. Uh, well, and their first album was produced by the great, and I stress the word great, Brian Eno. And who would ever thought that Eno would produce Devo? And it worked. It really, and their first album is uh, uh, a classic. Are we well, not men? We are Devo. Uh, yeah. And to go on from producing, uh, you know, a band like Devo, and then producing uh, U2 later on. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, D, uh, who knew what Eno was going to ever do, right? Mm-hmm. Very eclectic tastes and uh, a true innovator. I just got to tell you that the, did you want to hear the top five when the Stones came up with the riff? I do. I'd love to hear what was in the charts that week because '65 was that was an interesting year musically. It was so. a great year. Uh, number five was the Seekers. I'll never find another you. Do you know that song? I do. It's a great song. Um, Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders. Game of Love. That's a great band name. Love it. Yes. <laughs> There's a, a little unknown band at number three called The Beatles with uh, Ticket to Ride, which had its own interesting little guitar lick in there. Well, you know what else I like about Ticket to Ride mm. is I think Ticket to Ride was the first time that the first Beatles song that I listened to that I said, listen to what Ringo is doing in there. He does that mm. that triplet kind of uh, thing. You know, da 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 da. It's fantastic. The way that Ringo drums in there is fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, and I think you know, a band like Oasis based their entire career on that song. Um, but you know, and I, I always, I always loved the opening line because I thought the opening line was like one of the best opening lines ever. Which is, I think I'm going to be sad. I think it's today. <laughs> yeah, it's a great a great song. One of my favorite Beatles songs. I mean, how can you beat that for an opening line? Yeah. Number two is Gary Lewis of the Playboys, Jerry Lewis's son. Uh, oh, wow. Count, yeah, uh, he was a drummer too. Count Me In, and <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not a fan. Number one, Herman's Hermits, Mrs. Brown, you got a lovely daughter. I, cute guys, pop, just, it, it gets, it wears thin after a while. Yeah, I would agree. That's not my favorite tune either. No. <laughs> but uh, interesting what was on the charts then for sure. Now we are going to uh, jump back to one of my favorite time periods is, you know, the 1955, 1956. I find that era so fascinating. And uh, I'd like to go to Nashville on May 5th, 1956, if that's okay with you. I'll go to Nashville any day with you amazing city you've never been have you no no and i I hope and pray this pandemic ends so i can one day get there before i'm dead because i'll go as a ghost if i have to um but i do want to see it i've always wanted you've been to nashville right? i have it's an astounding musical city loved every minute of it you know i was at the ryman i was at uh, the grand Ole opry Uh, fantastic so i really want to go well you know what punch it in for uh, may 5th 1956 and uh, here we go All right. 
it's very clear. The car you've wanted is really here. It's delightful, it's too lovely, it's a soda. You'll understand the reasons why. For once you drive it, you wanna buy. It's delightful, it's too lovely, it's a soda. You can tell at a glance that this swell car is far in advance. You can hear that great big engine murmuring low. Where to go? So make sure you see and drive the new DeSoto. I'm man alive. It's delightful. It's too lovely. It's delirious. It's the living and it's the latest. It's the limit. It's the luck. It's DeSoto. Tomorrow at your DeSoto dealers. See and drive the delightful, the lovely DeSoto for 1956. Hearing that commercial, Tony, about DeSoto uh, reminded me that I bought the 1990s version of the DeSoto in 1991, a 1991 Cavalier. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> awful car. But, uh, you know, have you ever been in a DeSoto? I never have. They are cool looking cars, though. They're cool inside too. Like they're just—it's like a—it's like being in a an airplane hangar a bit, you know. I—I I was lucky <laughs> to. I went to a car show and they had one on display. I thought I've got to sit in a Desoto. It's a great, yeah. car. great car. I love cars and I love car shows. One of my things that I really miss, actually. So if we, when we, not if, when we go on a road trip to Detroit, you've got to go to the Henry Ford Museum. If you like cars, oh you know, yeah, that's a great museum. Yeah, for sure. We got to do that. And I, and you know, next time, uh, hopefully this time next year, if the Toronto auto show is going on, we can, uh, I'll swing by and pick you up. I'll and be there. Go. Sounds good. Sounds good. So what are we doing at 56 in Nashville? Well, it's May 5th and we are at RCA Victor Studios, 1525 McGavock Street in Nashville. And Elvis Presley is inside recording his first well celebrating he already recorded it but he's celebrating his first number one hit with his new record label rca victor um heartbreak hotel it went to number one on may 5th 1956 and that was shortly after um he had had his contract sold by sam phillips at sun records uh Mm -hmm. You know, and people uh, sometimes rip into Phillips, like, why would you sell Elvis's contract? But he had no choice. I mean, he was facing such financial difficulties because, you know, success is expensive and, and uh, he had to sell Elvis's contract or he would have lost the studio. But RCA Victor, uh, he recorded Heartbreak Hotel and it's based on a story about a guy jumping out of a hotel window to his death. So it's a little morbid. And just a yeah and this was the song though that nobody wanted um it had been offered to several people before elvis and um they turned it down but a woman uh who was one of the writers of the song may born axlin she just bugged elvis and said you got to do this song and he actually sang it at uh in at late 1955 in a concert and told the audience he said this is going to be my first big hit and he was spot on but uh she convinced him to do it and uh he offered to give her a third of the royalties so she um great deal for her because it was a a, a huge record and she had a very famous son you know oh who was that hoyt axton and he oh. wrote a number of songs in the 70s for it, but he wrote his biggest hit was the no-no song for Ringo Starr. Oh, wow. 
Remember that I didn't one? Know. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's his mom, uh, which is kind of cool, right? Like uh, history. And he wrote, you know, songs for Three Dog Night and stuff like that. But yeah, he was a very famous songwriter. So this rec- this uh, celebration inside, uh, celebrating Elvis hitting number one, I mean, this was just onwards and upwards for him. His trajectory all of a sudden was uh, almost straight up uh, after this. And, uh, you know, I find this period, as I said at the beginning uh, of our trip today, I find this to be maybe my favorite time period to go visit and to talk about. Why, why is that, Tony? Well, it's because of the so many fundamental changes happening in society right you had you know post-war boom you had all of a sudden teenagers became a thing um music was changing the walls separating blacks and whites were starting to fall down music started to coalesce you had this fantastic music being played by african-american musicians and people like elvis grew up listening to that stuff Mm -hmm. and he had nothing but respect for um those singers you know and uh Everybody, when they first heard him, thought he was a black singer. I mean, he he was the missing piece that rock and roll needed to really propel itself forward. I mean, he didn't invent rock and roll, but he was the final ingredient in the puzzle that launched this music into the stratosphere. Just so interesting. And then the you know the the invention of the transistor radio, so all of a sudden teenagers could listen to their own music and not listen to what mom and dad are, mu- are listening to on the huge radio in the living room. So many things happening. But even, and, and the invention of 45s. I mean, that, oh, was, that yeah. was major. Yeah, no, it's an exciting time. And, and there's so, you know, the funny thing is we forget the good music that came out because it doesn't get as much attention as it used to. And, and, and um, you know, I find myself going back to the 50s quite often and listening to things like, I love Elvis, but I like Eddie Cochran and Gene Vincent and Buddy. I'm a huge Buddy Holly fan huge um, yeah i mean all those guys and what a what a scene what an incredible time you know um and heartbreak hotel now that was at the top of the charts but I've, I've got a little more chart information about this song um this song and i know you're the chart guy but i, I just thought it, whoa 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 my territory man my territory. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding just kidding go ahead yeah so l this charted like number one on the country charts and number three on the R&B charts. And that, it just shows you how fluid everything was, right? Because Elvis is, a, I've seen Elvis's, um, you know, a plaque in the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame and I've seen his exhibit in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and he's in the Gospel Hall of Fame and incredible. Everything was fluid back then. Didn't it chart on the country charts as well? Yeah, yeah, it was number one. Number one on the rock charts, country charts and the... R&B charts. Yeah, R&B charts went to number three. Yeah. Talk about crossover hit, eh? Yeah, incredible. So, you know, and the fact that it, there you go. There, the R&B charts were black charts, right? Mm-hmm. And And the walls are starting to come down. So to me, that's what makes this time period so exciting. And the other thing that's kind of exciting, when you talk about the walls coming down, I didn't do the top five for that week. What I thought I would do, because I think it's so interesting, is look at the top five of that year. Okay. And Heartbreak Hotel is number one for the year. Number two is Elvis Presley, Don't Be Cruel. Another great song. Number three is Nelson Riddle with the Lisbon Antigua. Number four is The Platters, My Prayer. Five is Googie Grant with the Wayward Word. But Elvis is at number eight with Hound Dog. Fourteen with I Want You, I Need You, I Love You. Fifteen with Love Me Tender. 
I mean, he was the the top fifty were basically you know top twenty were basically his, right? Yeah, and I think it, it's easy to forget, you know, because that time period is so far back. Now we're talking sixty five years ago now, right? But uh, mm. amazing, amazing, and uh, you know, I'm teaching about Elvis right now in my uh, grade ten music class at the school, and. Even the kids found him fascinating. They said, like, I didn't know anything about him. You know, I just knew that he was, uh, he died in his bathroom, right? Like, that's yeah. what they know. That's what they know. And that's kind of sad. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 tr- and it's funny because the, the, a local station here in Toronto played Elvis for the first time in their history at lunch hour today. I was having a lunch break and I heard Elvis doing My Way. Oh. Okay. It's not Heartbreak Hotel. It's not, you know, it's classic rock stuff. But my, my goodness, his voice was great, you know? Well, his voice was, unbelievable so i i have to ask you what do you think what's your favorite elvis vocal performance do you have one i I know mine it's it's a clear-cut one okay what's yours mine is from the aloha in hawaii concert Mm -hmm. right that concert streamed to 1.5 billion people around the world that was the first uh satellite uh streamed Mm -hmm. concert wasn't it concert yeah yeah is when he did uh American trilogy, the American trilogy. Yeah, that's that's it's classic, classic. I, that is one of, in my opinion, one of the great vocal performances of all time. Period, mm-hmm. and just the control over his voice, and you know, I love the fact, like when he's singing, um, when he starts into the Dixie, and you can uh, you can see his backup singers, and his backup singers are mixed, some black backup singers, some white backup singers, and they're all looking at him with such admiration you know, mm-hmm. and, um, his control and his range and, and he was struggling with health issues in 1973 at that concert and mm-hmm. substance big, big abuse big issues, yeah. you know, and, but just, he took that to a whole other level, transcended that performance. I, I, it's one of my goosebump moments in music history is watching Elvis do that. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. It's, it's, it's iconic, right? Yeah. It's, you know, and it's not even rock and roll. It's a gospel, right? But it's just, mm-hmm. wow, like, wow. And, you know, if you listen to British radio or Irish radio, you hear that song at least once a week. That oh, version. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, because when I'm working during the day, I listen to a lot of radio out of the UK and Ireland and I hear it all. Like, they'll play that before they'll play Don't Be Cruel, which is fine because I'm sick of Don't Be Cruel. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, I, you know, his 70s stuff. It's horribly overlooked because when you ask me, my, my first, my favorite vocal, that's the American Trilogy for sure, but a very close second, and you're going to laugh when I say this, but I love his vocals on uh, Burning, uh, Burning Love. Oh, me too. 71. That song, man, you put that on and just listen to his vocals on that. It's phenomenal. Well, well and, and Suspicious Minds in 69, I was just right? going to say Suspicious Minds. <laughs> like, I, I was just going to say that, yeah. Yeah, what a what a what a voice! And um, you know, I I was showing the kids at school a bunch of footage, a bunch of the outtakes from his uh, comeback special, right? Because they got four hours of footage on that mm-hmm. little stage, and they condensed it down to you know one hour. And there's all kinds of spots where he forgets the lyrics and everything, right? But you can tell he is so happy to be back performing. Yeah, after, and he after, almost didn't do that show. Yeah, he was very nervous. He was terrified. He thought he couldn't do it. He thought he was going to make a fool of himself, and he thought no one would care. Well, and it didn't help that uh, Tom Parker didn't get the tickets out, Colonel Tom Parker, either. Oh, that's a a show in itself, Colonel Tom. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's a, he's a he's a hot mess that guy. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, you know, everything that could go wrong went wrong, and yet what we're left with is this you know dynamite hour of uh, oh. rock and roll history, quite frankly. And so, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, NBC Studios, uh, Tom Parker, Colonel Tom Parker, Ellis's manager, was going to distribute the tickets. He never did, so there was no audience, and um, they ran across the street because they were at NBC Studios. They ran across the street to a couple of the restaurants there, told people, hey, do you want to go listen to Elvis? We're taping a special. They put it on the radio, said, get down here. We need an audience and uh, filled it up. But incredible story. I know. It's just incredible. Incredible. Um, you know, just and just so you know, that, that studio where he recorded uh, all those great songs in Nashville, RCA Studios, you know, it's still, it was bought by a guy named Dave Cobb who's a producer and he produces a lot of country artists country artists that I like like Sturgill Simpson and, and Shooter Jennings Wyman Jennings son Jason Isbell anyways he bought the whole studio all the, all the equipment so he records in there and he still records on the old tape and the uh, oh love yeah, it he's updated it of course but not that much so if you listen to some new recordings that's that they're done in those classic I mean that echo the echo chain it's great anyways I would share that with you too yeah I have to get there that's on my list and I have to get to Sun Studios I, oh Muscle Shoals I gotta get to all those famous recording studios well hopefully we can get in the Wayback Machine and go for real well that's right that's right so we have one more stop today we are going to I Jump have a favor to ask you. I have a favor oh, yeah. to ask you. Yeah. We're in Nashville, and I know that they're famous for a lot of foods, but one of the foods they're most famous for is mac and cheese. Can we stop for one before we head off to the next destination? Yes, let's do it. Let's stop for some <laughs> mac and cheese. And then... Um do you want to uh, program the uh, time machine, though, and then we'll jump? Uh, it's May 4th, 1970, and we're going to Ohio, so... A dark day. Yes. There we go. All right, so let's enjoy our mac and cheese, and then we will jump. Here we go. Well, here we are, May 4th, 1970, Kent State University in Ohio. And look at all the uh, devastation here, eh? Like there's military vehicles everywhere, ambulances everywhere, people running all over the place. This was um, a, a truly awful day, wasn't it? Yeah, this is one of um, one of many dark days in America's history that um, luckily has not been forgotten over time. Because you know why? It keeps getting repeated still. But yeah, this is a terrible day. Horrible. Yep, absolutely. So this May 4th, 1970, was the day that the National Guard fired on a group of student protesters and four uh, students died. And it was the first time in American history that uh, a student had been killed in a protest like that. So they fired on uh, on the crowd and killed four students. And then uh, one other one died later after being in hospital, but um, awful. And it was an anti-war protest. It was uh, to protest the American government uh, deciding to go into Cambodia, if I'm not mistaken. And um, the protests had been going on for since May 1st. People had mm-hmm. been gathering and it just ratcheted up every day until the 4th, you know, and they were trying to uh, convince people to stay home. And at one point, Kent State uh, put out 12,000 flyers telling people, no, the gathering's canceled, but nobody bought it. Nobody bought it and people showed up. And, uh, you know, the military, uh, the National Guard, uh, 
gradually got them uh, gathered in one area. And then for whatever reason, whether someone got skittish or whether they thought the crowd was going to advance on them, but all of a sudden they fired and the shooting lasted about 16 or 17 seconds and four people dead. And famous song written about this. Well, and I just want to say that we're, you know, there's so much about Kent State, and I can't encourage people enough to go and research it and Google it, uh, because we're giving you the, you know, the Reader's Digest version of it. Oh, absolutely. Like, we we would have to do a whole hour on this, so we don't have time for that, but... Oh, you could do a whole day of it, because, you know, the whole lead-up and the whole uh, protest and... and, and, um, But, yeah, I mean, to, to, to... to your point, uh, oddly enough, a single did come under that by uh, Crosby, Steele's Nash & Young called Ohio, and it was released a month later in June 1970. And it was banned by a lot of radio stations at the time because, mm-hmm. you know, for many reasons. I mean, it was critical of the U.S. government. It was very critical, as it should be. I'm not, you know, as it should be. It did get as high as 14, and it was uh, inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2009. Um it's just, you know, it's just incredible to look at that film footage, these kids protesting. I mean, you know, Tony, I, I, I marched against nuclear power back in 19, what year was it? I think it was 85, 84. There was a big CND march in Toronto. I never thought I was going to get shot. You know, 30,000 of us walking down the street. It was very well, peaceful. Right. There was nothing got destroyed. But, you know, these kids, they're at university, they're one expression of viewpoint, and, and next thing you know, um, I don't know. But it, it's interesting, there's some very famous people who were there at the time, right? Well, that's right. You had mentioned, uh, well, I'll let you go ahead. You mentioned who well, was there. two members of the group Devo, this is a connection from beginning, there was Mark Mothersbaugh and Gerald Casale. Gerald Casale, in 2005, he said a lot of things about it. He said, you know, all I can tell you is that it completely and utterly changed my life. I was a white hippie boy, and then I saw exit wounds from M1 rifles out of the backs of two of the people I knew. I stopped being a hippie, and I started to develop the idea of de-evolution. I got really, really pissed off, understandably. And um, do, you know who, do you know who else was a student there and in the crowd that day as well? Go ahead. Uh, Chrissy Hind. So Chrissy Hind and the Pretenders was a student at Kent State, and she was there that day as well, and profoundly affected her as well. And I, I love Chrissy Hind. I don't know about you, but Tony, I adore Chrissy Hind for for her music. I, I just I, I love her, and I also love the fact that she was best friends with Linda McCartney. And, oh, there you go. Yeah, and Linda, one of Linda McCartney's last things she did was a photo for the uh, an album by the Pretenders, which features Chrissy Hind on the cover, and that was taken by Linda McCartney. It was not one of the last things she did, but she's a, a an ardent uh, ardent ardent vegetarian. And uh, I wonder if, you know, maybe that came from Kent State, you know? It it might have. And Neil Young, of course, wrote Ohio, and uh, he wrote it right away. He saw the pictures from it Mm -hmm. on the news and was deeply disturbed by it and wrote it right away, and they rushed into the studio to get that recorded. And uh, I remember uh, Graham Nash talking about that, and he said, wow, like Neil had some serious stones with that song, you know, because he mentioned Nixon by name in the song, called him out. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, there was there was no question as to what what the intent of that song. I mean, that you want the definition of a of a protest song. Yes, I mean that is the ultimate in protest. I mean, it was it was the polar opposite to Lenin's "Give Peace a Chance" because the, the peace was gone. Yeah. Now it was you know Nixon's coming and uh, 
Uh, just, I mean, it was, it's just a horrible, but, but it, you know, you hear that song and it takes you right back to, I mean, I was, I was, um, not quite six when it happened. And I remember mm -hmm. my mom watching it on the news and I couldn't understand it at all. I mean, I was six years old, five years old, but now as you get older, you keep, you look back on that stuff, you think, wow, America has some serious stuff to be a bit ashamed of, you know? No, exactly. But um, it, one of the greatest protest songs of all time. I just uh, watched uh, yesterday, actually, uh, the Massey Hall performance that Neil Young did uh, of uh, that song. And uh, that footage didn't get, that was back in the early 70s, right? Was that 73 mm -hmm. or something, the Massey Hall mm -hmm. concert? But uh, didn't get released until 2007 or something. So Neil Young is a huge archivist. I don't know if you know this, but he's he's everything. I mean, he's his archives. And he puts out these things. I'm, I'm a huge, well, you know, I'm, I'm, now I'm a very big Neil Young fan. My wife loves Neil Young. Uh, and then, so I used to buy these things for Andrew, and we bought that Massey Hall. It's a great concert. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just one of those concerts that is, you know, iconic again. I, mean, I keep using that word, but I saw a band at Massey Hall, and the first thing the guy said when he came on stage was, Neil Young played here. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's Neil Young's home, right? And and Neil Young's his archives are something else. That have you been on that website? His archives all the time. I yeah. just get lost in there. I, I, I literally <laughs> get lost in there. <laughs> it is something else. It, yeah, yeah. We'll have to maybe in the show notes um, when you do up the show notes. Maybe we should put a link to uh, his archives because it is so interesting. I will do that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and it's funny because when when they put out, it was very the other thing that's kind of unusual about the song Ohio was that here's a band that at the time were at number two on the album charts with an album called Deja Vu. And they're putting out a single that's not, obviously it's not on the album because the album had been out for a while. But um, so, yeah, they just kind of broke all the rules. Neil Young just kind of went, you know what? We got to deal with this in some way. And he, and, and Crosby and, and Nash and, and, and Stills as well. So, you know. Now, what was on the charts that week, the, the week so of the, October, of May 4th, sorry, 1970? The album charts are fascinating to me. Because that week, number five was Chicago 2. I love Chicago. Horn players. I so I, 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 You are, and you're a good one too, by the way. Um, number four was Santana with Santana. Number three was The Beatles on the Hey Jude album. Which, by the way, folks, if you have that album at home on, on Apple Records, take a look at the label. Because if your label says The Beatles again, you may have a rare album in your collection. Oh, cool. it was actually it was called the Beatles again, and at the last minute they changed the title to Hey Jude. But some of the albums came out with the Beatles again uh, label. So there you go. And number two was Deja Vu, and the number one was Simon and Garfunkel's um, classic Bridge Over Troubled Water. But elsewhere was interesting. Number ten was Guess Who with their own critique of America with American Woman. Yes. Um, Abbey Road was still at number twenty. Uh, Pink Floyd. Their big album at the time, <laughs> Uma Guma, peaked at 74. Uh, Paul McCartney, his first solo debut album. Here, It's funny. McCartney came out in that year, 1970, he debuted at number 14, would go on to be number one. And um, he just put out McCartney 3 last year in 2020. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool guy. And one last note is that uh, Badfinger, a band on Apple Records, had an album in the charts too. So it was... A, it was you know, like you, you know, it's it's a, it was an interesting year for albums because there was you know people were buying albums and there were reel to reels, cassettes, eight tracks. 
Well, yeah, because the trend for albums had started about uh, four years earlier, four or five years earlier, right? All of a sudden with the Beatles and that's right, and and that's all right. the concept albums that came out, and what a great time in the early seventies, the albums that came out of there. Wow. Oh, you know what? My daughter just bought an album. She's she's a big fan of a group called the Incredible String Band, um, who never really made it big. Anyway, she bought an album by one of the guys from the band named Mike Huron or Heron. Sorry, Mike Heron. Tony, you'd be amazed who backs them up on this album from nineteen seventy one. Cat Stevens. Oh, Elton wow. John plays piano. <laughs> Pete Townsend's on guitar. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, we have to take a jump to the present because I've got a song for you to listen to. And this has been a fantastic I road trip. Because I, I was hoping you forgot because I know you weren't happy with last week's selection. So well, you I'm know s- what? I, I decided to be nice to you because I thought I can't go, I can't go any lower <laughs> than last week. So... <laughs> So, oh, yeah, you can't. <laughs> oh, I probably could, but okay, can you punch it in 202.1 and we'll uh, jump back to the present? There we go. Well, Aaron, it's good to be home back in Toronto here where I can uh, drop you off, but I thought, uh, in honor of us being back in Toronto, I thought I'd look at the charts and pick a Toronto boy as uh, your choice tonight. So I am going to have you listen to a, a song that's on the charts right now called Save Your Tears by The Weeknd. So are you ready? Um, yeah, okay. All right, <laughs> let's uh, take a listen. So that is uh, what the kids are listening to today. Uh, that was uh, "Save Your Tears" by the Weekend. So, your thoughts, sir? You know, it, it, it wasn't. It's, it's not horrible. Um, it's very it has a, a cool '80s vibe going on in it. But here's the thing, right? He's got a pretty pleasant voice. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Why do you need to auto tune it? Just let I, it go. I agree. Just, just sing, man, because you got. An, he's got a pleasant voice. So I, I and I. Okay, do we need guns and videos? Seriously, in 2021? I mean, seriously. Just stop. Stop the madness. Uh, but it's not a bad song. Like, I, I I was a lot harsher on you than you were on me. Oh, um, your day will come. Your day will come. I know. I'm, I'm waiting. It's, 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 it's the other shoe. I know. I know. I know. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't bad. And, and again, I kind of dug the, the, the melody was quite good. I just and I was really enjoying it till the uh, auto tune came in. I thought, "Why are you doing this, man? Like you're." He has a nice voice, so yeah, he does. And I don't know whether the auto tune is just an expectation now in music. You know, I don't it's know, one it's of those stop. things that you got to do. But I really hope it it would stop. Oh, me too. You know, so I tell you a quick story. Years and years and years ago, I was driving with my elder daughter Emily, and we we're driving on Queen Street. And we had just gone to see a band called Rational Youth from Montreal. And it was pretty late because they came on late, came on at midnight or something. And, and we're driving back home at about two in the morning. We drive by another club on Queen Street. And my daughter says, oh, hey, it's the weekend. And I went, yeah, it is, honey. It's Saturday night. And she's like, no, dad. <laughs> I had no idea who she was talking about because this is before he was big. Right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, you know what? We are pulling up to your house here. So that was a fantastic trip tonight, Aaron. That was, uh, yeah, was really great. great. Don't don't judge the dandelions on my friend alone, okay? I'm, I'm well, you know, I've, I've got them too. But, you know, now they say you should leave the dandelions alone, right? So Is that what they're saying? Yes, they, sh- they are because of all the uh, pollinators, right? 
Can you put so, that in writing for my wife? Just <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, it was a great trip. I really enjoyed it. I thought we we hit some. I, I mean, Nashville, um, you know, uh, Clearwater, and tragically Ohio. But you know, I like Ohio to be honest. Yeah, me so, too. But it was a great trip. So thank you for driving, my friend. Oh no, and uh, what a pleasure! You know what? We will uh, do it again next week. See you later. Can't wait. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denee. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine podcast is a Stewie Tunes production.